most people don't look forward to being audited by the IRS. It's not just a pain, but it can end up costing you a lot of money. I had an incident where my son's mother, who I wasn't married to, signed over the ability for me to use my son as a, as a dependent. But she turned right around and kept using him as a dependent. What the IRS told me was the fact that she continued to use him as a dependent meant that she nullified the document that she signed. They audited me every year after that, and uh, I had to pay back tremendous amounts of money. I was audited in 2015. Uh, at the time, I was a farmer. The audit process was horrible. The agent that they assigned to us knew nothing about farming, farming practices. Initially, she had stated that in her examination of all of our records that we owed $38,000. Finally, with some back and forth between our tax accountant and the auditor, uh, we got it down to about 1500 which we shouldn't have even owed that. Now, a new study found that black taxpayers are at least three times more likely to be audited by the IRS than other taxpayers. And the reason for this racial disparity isn't what you might think. The IRS isn't targeting black taxpayers. The agency doesn't keep data on race. But the outdated algorithms they're using end up singling out black taxpayers. The study was a collaboration between the University of Michigan, Stanford, the University of Chicago, and the U.S. Treasury Department. And it's one of the most detailed examinations of race and the tax system. After the break, we'll take a closer look at that study and its implications. We have a lot to get into. I'm Sarah McCammon, in for Jen White. You're listening to the 1A podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Stay with us. Let's jump into the conversation by welcoming our first guest. Joining us to talk about the study's findings and solutions to this disparity is one of the co-authors of that study, Daniel Ho. He's a law professor at Stanford University and the director of the Regulation, Evaluation, and Governance Lab. That's a group that works with government agencies to find and implement policy solutions. Dan, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. Also with us, Dorothy Brown. She's the chair in taxation and a law professor at Georgetown University. She's also the author of The Whiteness of Wealth, How the Tax System Impoverishes Black Americans and How We Can Fix It. Dorothy, welcome back to the show. Happy to be here. Dan, I want to start with this study that we've been talking about, which you co-authored. What were your major findings? Um, well, first, uh, I want to start off and just say what a pleasure it is to be on the show with uh, Professor Dorothy Brown. Uh, this study, in many ways, would not actually have been possible without the really amazing work um, that Professor Brown has been doing, uh, really, to shed light on these kinds of issues. We tend to think about uh, tax uh, sometimes as a potentially dry subject, uh, but uh, it is, in a sense, fundamentally about distribution. Uh, what we found in this study is that black taxpayers are three to five times as likely to be audited as everyone else. Uh, that's a pretty uh, troubling finding. And uh, what we uh, find is that the disparities are concentrated among low-income taxpayers, particularly taxpayers claiming the earned income tax credit, which is a refundable credit program really uh, uh, to aid low-income earners. 
these disparities are, are not driven by differences in the total dollar amount of underreporting between black and non-black taxpayers, but they're really a result of the way uh, in which uh, IRS tends to kind of select its audits. It's worth noting, too, that we don't uh, think that this is driven by explicit bias on the part of IRS or its revenue agents. Uh, rather, it really stems from a mix of institutional priorities and processes by which IRS has tried to select audits. Yeah, can you explain that a little further? I mean, I think the big question in everyone's mind is, if it's not intentional, then why? Why are black taxpayers more likely to be audited? Yeah, a big part of the story here is the earned income uh, tax credit. And when we came in, we thought that uh, that was likely to be uh, uh, potentially something driving uh, these kinds of disparities. It turns out that's only part of the story. Uh, that is, what we find is that even amongst EITC claimants, uh, there's a pretty dramatic disparity between black and non-black taxpayers. And uh, although we don't have direct access to the specific uh, selection mechanism that IRS uses, we did have access to the underlying data. And so what we were able to do in this study was to really uh, try to tease out what kinds of ways uh, by which you design the selection process could lead to these kinds of disparities. And we really find two. One is that if you uh, sort of try to focus on high certainty but lower dollar amounts, that can drive up uh, the demographic disparity. When and you say second, high certainty, what does that mean real quick? High cer- well, it's sort of like this. If you Imagine if you uh, were trying to figure out uh, who uh, was running a fever. And if you had a thermometer, one way you could do it is you could look at just who is above like the average uh, body temperature. Or you could look at who has a really severe fever of like 103 or more. Um, and uh, if you only focus on things that are sort of uh, smaller adjustments, you may be more certain. Uh, but what we show is when you do that, that could really lead you to focus on a very different subset of taxpayers. The second thing that we find is that really if you focus on trying to identify who is eligible for these kinds of refundable credit programs like the Earned Income Tax Credit, as opposed to the dollar adjustment, that can really drive things. So uh, one of our listeners, Guy, emails, if the IRS itself doesn't know the race of the people that it is auditing and the people being audited, it's not public information, how does this study know this in enough detail to know that black people are being disproportionately audited. How how did you sort of match up um, this data, given the fact that, as we've said, the IRS doesn't track taxpayers' race? Yeah, it's uh, one of the biggest uh, challenges on, on for actually the uh, all of the administrative state. On the first day of assuming office, President Biden signed uh, an executive order, often thought of as the, the Biden racial justice executive order, um, that is meant to try to understand what the potential disparities are uh, amongst uh, uh, different uh, individuals uh, for federal programs. But many agencies don't actually observe uh, race and ethnicity explicitly. The IRS does not collect race and ethnicity on the 1040 
forms. And so what we had to do here really to um, implement this uh, executive order was to really figure out uh, and build a set of methods to actually uh, probabilistically identify uh, taxpayers based on census-published information about uh, names, uh, geographies, uh, basically to estimate uh, racial disparities when race and ethnicity are not observed directly by the IRS. The other thing that really gives us uh, a great assurance that this was uh, uh, that these methods uh, worked quite well is that we were able to link an administrative data set in North Carolina where race was in fact self-reported, and we find the same uh, disparities there and are able to validate. Uh, our uh, uh, approaches. And we think that provides a really important blueprint uh, for how to do this kind of an assessment, not just for the IRS, but for the range of other uh, federal programs where we may simply be in the dark right now as to how they're being administered. Now, Dorothy, a moment ago, Dan said that sometimes this can seem dry tax policy, but it's not dry when the IRS comes knocking metaphorically with an audit. So what does it mean to be audited? What does that process involve? Well, it depends on the type of audit. Is it a what we call a correspondence audit where it's mail? Uh, you know, the IRS would send a letter saying you need to prove this deduction or is it a more, which is typical with respect to the earned income tax credit audits or is it a more um, intrusive or uh, a more detailed audit where they make an appointment, they show up at your house or your business and ask for books and records. So um, any correspondence from the IRS tends to scare the recipient. So there's nothing dry about getting that letter. And, and what are the implications for a person who goes through an audit? What does it mean for how long does it take and, and what does it look like for them? Well, it depends, right? It depends on how um, intense the audit is, but what it means is the IRS wants additional information because they think the tax return as filed is not necessarily accurate, which could mean you owe more taxes, which could mean you have to write a check that you weren't anticipating having to write, or if we're talking about the earning of tax credit, it's about holding up a refund that you desperately need. I guess the thing I've always wondered about this process is if somebody is audited, the IRS determines they've made an error, let's say it was an honest mistake, what happens then? And particularly if the person isn't in a position to pay what they owe. They could set up an installment plan. And and let me just say, it's also possible. So for example, a couple of years ago, I got a letter from the IRS saying, you know, prove up this deduction. And I sent back the uh, copies of the receipts and that was the end of it. So it's possible that the IRS sends a letter and the taxpayer says, yeah, I was eligible for this deduction or there's nothing wrong with what I filed and that's the end of it. So it's not every time the IRS thinks there's a problem, there actually is a problem. But let's say you owe money and you don't have the ability to pay. You can set up what's called an installment agreement where you agree to pay so much over time. If, however, you know, worst case scenario, you owe, you don't have the money, you don't set up um, – and a, a payment arrangement, then any subsequent refund you might get in the next, you know, eligible for in a later year could be offset by the taxes that you owe. And Dan, what do we know about the outcomes of these audits? I mean, how often do they result in penalties or prosecution? Um, I don't know the the uh, sort of uh, 
sort of prosecution uh, side of it. Um, here's the, the context that I think is important to highlight, particularly in light of the, the earlier segment uh, with Richard Rubin, which is um, that part of what has happened since 2010 is that we had uh, really significant uh, budget cuts uh, to the IRS. So the budget is down, uh, was down by about uh, 15% over a 10-year period, 20% of the workforce left. The examiner base that really left the agency was disproportionately the sort of examiners that are able to really conduct higher income and more complex audits. And so what that has meant is that in recent years, up to 50% of IRS audits are actually devoted to something like the earned income uh, tax credit, uh, which uh, you know is, is of course a, a program uh, to help lower or, or middle income uh, uh, wage earners. Um, and so uh, uh, while uh, audit rates plummeted for high income uh, individuals over this uh, 10 plus year period, they basically stayed the same for exactly the same reasons that uh, Professor Brown was articulating, which is that these correspondence audits uh, are uh, uh, many times just the cost of a postage stamp. So a piece of mail can get sent out. Um, but about half the time, uh, taxpayers may not respond to that uh, mail. Uh, uh, sometimes folks talk about that as the hassle cost of just figuring out how to find that documentation and respond uh, to that. There's a separate study as well uh, by some um, IRS researchers that shows that when you have an EITC audit like this, sometimes the response by uh, taxpayers is in subsequent years, even when it is the case that they are eligible for the EITC, they do not claim it um, uh, in, uh, as a result of having gone through that kind of an audit experience. Oh, that's interesting because they're worried they'll be flagged again. Exactly. Now, Dorothy, your work is about how the tax system is not colorblind. How does our tax system discriminate against people of color more broadly? So, you know, this is a, a, it goes back to how can the IRS discriminate if they don't have information on race? And this is, you know, I would say following up on the work of sociologist Eduardo Bidia Silva, racism without racist, right? The fact that you don't have intentional discriminatory desire doesn't mean a system cannot discriminate on the basis of race. We're seeing this with audits, with the study, we're seeing it in my research that basically argues that we all bring our racial identities onto our tax returns. The fact that we don't check a box for race on the 1040 doesn't mean we stop having a racialized being. So we, we see with respect to tax subsidies for homeownership. We know historically in America, as well as today, there are vastly different rates of homeownership across race. So if we know that white Americans historically, as well as today, are more likely to be homeowners, in part because of federal racist policies that discriminated in favor of white Americans owning homes, then we shouldn't be surprised that tax subsidies for homeownership are going to impact Americans differently based upon their race. And Sherry emails... I'm a black female and college educated. When I lived in Chicago in the late 1980s and early 1990s, I was audited twice in about six years. I made less than $43,000 and worked two jobs. They questioned petty stuff and I felt humiliated. It was as if they were going to find something. I've worked since I was 15 years old. The IRS is very intimidating and loves to chase little people instead of the wealthy who are the real cheaters. 
I, I wonder how you react to that, Dorothy, um, based on your research. Well, absolutely. I mean, think about it. There's a choice that was made in the IRS that basically said we're going to go after income tax credit recipients because it's cheap and easy. And honestly, I would argue they're not remotely uncomfortable with the outcome. They're not remotely uncomfortable with who it is they're they're auditing, as opposed to where the money really is, which is high-income Americans. But high-income wealthy Americans have tax advisors and they have tax lawyers who push back, as opposed to low-income workers who are so busy working, they barely have time to respond to the IRS letter. And they certainly are not represented by tax counsel. There aren't enough low-income taxpayer clinics to, to represent everyone. So she has every right to be upset. And quite honestly, this is, you know, I, I applaud the study that Dan and his co-authors did, but this is another example of academic researchers deciding to look. We deserve for our government to be putting out research like this. We deserve for our government to stop saying, oh, we're colorblind, it can't be racially discriminatory, when everything I've written and, and this study as well as others are showing there are race effects. So we have this racial equity order and we actually need Treasury and IRS to do the work. Um, of course, I welcome more academics doing the work. But honestly, this is the government's responsibility. And we should note that um, Dan worked with the Treasury Department to conduct this study. Um, the IRS is part of the Treasury Department, which collaborated uh, on the study. And Dan, just tell us a little bit about how that collaboration worked. Uh, sure. Um, well, we began uh, work with uh, uh, the IRS really to try to think about how could we build out uh, some uh, approaches to improve the way that IRS can learn from its data, uh, really uh, because it had built out a set of uh, uh, audit selection mechanisms that really haven't learned from kind of really uh, recent advances in, in AI. And that's kind of when we started to discover uh, what was going on in the current system. We're discussing how the tax system discriminates against black taxpayers and how to fix it. And we should note we did reach out to the IRS for this conversation. They did not make anyone available, but once again, they are part of the Treasury Department, which collaborated on the study. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Stay with us. Now let's get back to our conversation about racial inequalities in our tax system. Now, Dorothy, uh, you mentioned the earned income tax credit a mo moment ago. Shortly after the study was published, you tweeted, quote, lots of attention has focused on the EITC audit rate racial disparities. As important, in my humble opinion, is the following. We observe a statistically significant difference in audit rates between black and non-black taxpayers. We need to be mindful of audit rates for all incomes. What did you mean by that? That, you know, when we talk about the new funding for the IRS, we don't talk about race, right? What I'm hearing is, oh, you won't have to worry about this because we're only talking about people who make more than $400,000 of income. But what we've seen is there's been a targeting of black Americans in the earned income tax credit, even though roughly half of all earned income tax credit claimants are white. So we know that there's a disproportionate percentage of white taxpayers in the $400,000 and higher category, but there aren't zero black and Hispanic taxpayers. So I want, I want accountability for the $400,000 
for audits of those in 400,000 higher households from a racial perspective. I don't want this to be turned into a class issue. Blacks are disproportionately poor, therefore they're disproportionately eligible for their earned tax credit, so we have to pay attention to race at the low-income level, but we don't have to pay attention at the high-income level because white Americans, overwhelmingly percentages of of white Americans are in those higher income categories. If what we see is targeting of black Americans in the earned income tax credit, when roughly half of EITC claimants are white, we should not expect that race goes away at the high income level. So I'm basically asking for accountability with respect to race and audits for high-income Americans when the IRS does its work. Dan, I wonder if your research can speak to that at all. What do we know about sort of racial disparities at higher-income levels? Do we know? Well, what we do find, um, which I believe uh, is what uh, Dorothy was noting earlier, we do find that there are still disparities that uh, uh, exist uh, really across the entire uh, income spectrum. They are not quite as dramatic as uh, amongst EITC uh, claimants, uh, but they still exist. Uh, and so I think uh, Dorothy's entirely right that it's important to pay attention not solely uh, to uh, EITC uh, claimants, but uh, to really think about how to design an audit system that is effective, fair, and works uh, for all. Maybe if I could just return to one really important point that I think uh, Dorothy mentioned, which is this notion that pervades so many federal programs that the way in which we can get f- uh, fairness uh, is through blinding ourselves, right? Chief Justice Roberts uh, sort of uh, famously stated in in one uh, case, the way to stop discriminating based on race is to stop discriminating based on race. And what this paper really shows and what we've seen through a lot of instances of, of you know, uh, these kinds of algorithmic decision-making systems is that uh, blind uh, selection systems oftentimes can lead to worse uh, disparities and disparate impact than if you are uh, exhibit, exhibiting some awareness of the potential uh, for these kinds of systems to have differential impacts on on uh, different uh, types of individuals. Uh, some a program like the or a, a statute like the Equal Credit Opportunity Act affirmatively prohibits a set of lenders from being able to collect information on race and ethnicity. And that, for instance, has meant it's been incredibly difficult for us to understand these kinds of dimensions with a program like the uh, Paycheck Protection Program. Justin emails, the reason the IRS audits lower income taxpayers is due to a lack of resources. It takes more resources to audit high income individuals who use professional tricks to pay the least amount of taxes. Funding the IRS more will lead to a decrease in audits of lower income earners. And uh, on that note, here's another message we got. I've been audited three times since 1995. During the times I got audited, I probably didn't make barely $40,000 a year. Um, I didn't have my own business, and I felt like all of them were unfair. Dan, we've we've sort of addressed this, but just break it down a little bit more for us. Which income levels are most likely to be audited and why? If you had sort of a chart. <laughs> yeah, it really depends on uh, which time period you're talking about, uh, similar to what Richard Rubin was articulating. Um, over uh, the the course uh, of, you know, starting from 2010, we had funding declines. Um, and what really happened is uh, there's a, a kind of, you know, general increase in the audit rate across the income spectrum. But as resources uh, dwindled, 
those audit rates really uh, uh, plummeted pretty significantly so that you see a kind of a real sharp concentration of about 50% of audits in recent years focused on lower income uh, uh, individuals, uh, uh, largely uh, those uh, claiming the earned income uh, tax credit. Uh, so uh, that, that I think is, it is, is what's so important to keep in mind here is how much this has changed as, as resources uh, have been uh, uh, cut from the IRS. And, and I think one really dramatic way to understand that is uh, that there have been these pictures of the IRS cafeteria in Austin uh, where what we see is just the entire cafeteria littered with file folders uh, of uh, taxpayer forms. And uh, that is the, the kind of broader story here of information technology and, and, and government, uh, which is that the IRS runs on these kinds of legacy systems. They run uh, a lot of their systems on a really outdated programming language uh, called COBOL, uh, which was developed in the 1950s. And it's really hard to get the kind of transparency, uh, for instance, that Professor Brown is really articulating we need uh, when you've got uh, so much that is locked behind behind these uh, really outdated legacy systems. And that's the real promise here of uh, modernizing uh, uh, this kind of uh, infrastructure. You know, Dorothy, this brings us to the question of, of when audits are necessary. We got an email from uh, our listener, Dawn, who writes, audits are necessary. Without them, the wealthy would not pay their fair share. That's why they complain so vehemently. When is an audit necessary? When is it not necessary? I'm glad you asked that question because I want to talk about for example, the Trump tax returns and how there was an obligation to audit his return, but it had not been done. And when you read the Joint Committee on Taxation's um, analysis of the tax returns, you get you you get the you you get a quote of IRS officials that basically said they were giving deference to the numbers on the return because they were prepared by professionals. And the average worker doesn't get that deference. Why would we give deference to highest income Americans who have tax professionals? Because we presume they're not going to do anything shady or untoward. So there was an example where the IRS was absolutely obligated. There was a history of auditing tax returns, but it did not happen until the Democrats took over the House. So, you know, when we talk about IRS policy, IRS makes choices, who they audit and who they don't audit. And it isn't just a function of resources that everyone has talked about the cut in resources over time, which is absolutely true. But that had nothing to do with their requirement to audit presidential tax returns that they failed to do. Dan, what actions can the IRS take to address these racial disparities that we've been talking about, particularly in the auditing process? What we uh, are able to do in the papers, we use a set of random audits uh, that IRS uh, conducted over a period of time really to study how can you design a more effective way of selecting audits, going to your uh, listener's question, to really uh, kind of... Uh, uh, audit really when uh, something is, is necessary. Um, and what we show is that there really are uh, some promising things you can do uh, that would uh, help reduce these disparities without much uh, by way of loss of revenue, uh, specifically switching the focus from 
uh, to the t total dollar of underreporting rather than whether someone makes a mistake can help or re re reduce or eliminate uh, these kinds uh, of disparities. Uh, similarly, uh, uh, rather than just focusing on eligibility for refundable credits, uh, really focusing on, on total dollar amount of underreporting uh, would potentially make a, a pretty significant difference. And that's something that's doable within uh, the sort of historical uh, audit budget that IRS has available. So uh, to, to Dorothy's point, does not necessarily uh, implicate the kind of current uh, funding increase contemplated um, for IRS. And Dorothy, in terms of policy change, what would you like to see? First, that the IRS and Treasury keep race data on who they audit, who they enforce, who they enforce the tax laws against. Because if we don't know it, we can't fight against or we can't change it. So let's assume goodwill that everybody thinks because there's no racial data on the 1040, there can't be any discrimination. Well, we know that now that's false. So now that you know, what are you going to do? So the first thing we need is fairness in, you know, after the data, we need fairness in who we audit. We have a huge tax gap. A lot of it has to do with unreported income, cash businesses. Then we need to send testers and we need to figure it out and we need to audit and get those who are unfairly skirting our tax laws that don't get all their income from W-2s, that don't and that have an ability to evade um, taxation, we need to make sure they are brought into the tax system, whether it's willingly or dragged, kicking and screaming. You know, Dan, we've talked about Biden's racial justice executive order that he signed on his first day in office requiring government agencies to conduct equity assessments. How might your study serve as a model for other government agencies trying to address racial disparities? Yeah. To build on what uh, Dorothy just said, one mantra from folks who have really thought a lot about how algorithms can potentially be blind to a race but still generate significant disparities, uh, one uh, phrase there is, there is no fairness without awareness. Uh, and uh, that is, I think, exactly to the point. And, and uh, what we've seen when we look at the 25 or so agencies that have responded to the executive order that mandates that agencies do exactly these kinds of assessments of uh, disparities of federal program administration, 21 of those 25 agencies indicate that they're having really serious challenges uh, getting the requisite data on race and ethnicity. Mm. So it is a really significant challenge for us to understand where there might be disparities in innovation policy, in farm subsidies, in veterans benefits. And our paper really provides a kind of blueprint for how you can potentially uh, do that uh, without necessarily having you know, to burden folks with having to, to report a lot more information. Daniel Ho, law professor at Stanford University and co-author of a study about racial inequality in our auditing process. Also, Dorothy Brown, chair of taxation and law professor at Georgetown University. Thanks so much to both of you. Today's producer was Haley Blassingame. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, D.C., distributed by NPR. And I'm Sarah McCammon in for Jen White. Let's talk more soon. This is 1A.